Okay, Charlotte, can you yes. tell everybody who you are and why we know each other and why this topic is relevant to you? Yeah, no worries. Um, so my name is Charlotte Durand. I'm a current PGY3 junior doctor working in uh, emergency on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Um, we have met through Twitter um, and yep. have been sort of having some chats back and forth about different topics, one of them being the use of social media in um, in healthcare. And it's, it's something that I'm very interested in, being in sort of the current cohort of junior docs coming through, getting sort of mixed messages from different places about the use of social media as a, a junior doctor. And um, it was a really great opportunity to have a chat to you about you know, your perspective and your talk. So um, that's sort of where I come into the picture. And because you're going to speak about the topic yourself next month, aren't you? Yeah, so, I'm, right? speaking, uh, yeah, so I'm speaking at the um, Australian New Zealand Pre-Vocational Med Ed Conference down in Canberra and I'm going to be speaking about um, uh, social media for digital natives, so people in sort of I guess my cohort and younger who are coming through who have already spent a bit of time on social media before becoming doctors. So it's a bit of a different space. Yeah. So one one end of the spectrum to another, which oh, was yes. what was really valuable. Yeah, cool. I'm to do a little bit to, to put this together. Teamwork makes the dream work. Um, anyway, yeah. yeah. And the reason, the reason we're talking more about that is because Professor Kirsty Forrest, who's the um, Dean of Medicine at Bond University, heard that um, podcast, uh, which was super exciting, Tanya, and as well as the podcast with Laura Duggan on Hippocrates would be on Twitter, um, and uh, she was running a session at the Medical Deans of Australia and New Zealand annual conference that happened to be in Melbourne on disruption and medical education and wanted me to specifically talk to both of those podcasts or kind of summarise and elaborate um, and I actually turned her down three times, uh, <laughs> in part, uh, in part because, uh, I'm really busy and I was worried that I didn't have the time for it. And also, you know, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome or a little bit of a worry about, about discussing this with the deans. Um, and so that's kind of how that came to be. And, and in the end, clearly Kirsty does not take no for an answer. Um, and so two days ago on Friday, the 20th of September, I spoke to the deans of, Medi of medicine of Australia and New Zealand on disruption in medical education and social media in the digital age. So, yeah, so wasn't it amazing that here you are, um, you know, Dr. Rebecca Zabo standing in front of the medical deans of the whole of Australia and New Zealand, like a visitor from another planet, trying to kind of explain to the very traditional medical school system about what's happening in parallel with traditional learning. And I was following along your tweets and I thought you really um, were able to really explain to them wh where your point of view was because the MDAN's priorities of medical education and social justice and benchmarking are all able to be uh, progressed with wise use of social media. Um, you know, that knowledge doubling slide on Twitter has just gone wild that it takes, it used to take 50 years for knowledge to double in 1950 and next year it'll be 73 days. Mm. Uh, and a lot of, and it was that really, that really has struck a nerve with a lot really of really gone nuts. And in fact, when, 
when you when you showed me that, I was like, geez, no wonder I don't know what's going on because knowledge is just moving. And pretty much everything I learned in medical school will be wrong now. And I think it's interesting about the conflict about what... You're not not that old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It's interesting about the conflict about what people in healthcare are told about social media because all the policies are basically like don't say this and don't do that and you could get deregistered and everything is bad and it's vitriolic and evil. But the thing is when we're not on it, then there's the void Mm -hmm. and people who aren't people who don't have health literacy are giving our community knowledge. You know, and then you've got thirteen hundred cases of measles in New Zealand. So not only do we it's mandatory for us to participate, we actually have to like get ahead and work out what's happening. And Beck, I don't know, um, was it you or someone in the audience said, Gosh, what if we actually got Google? to prioritise in their algorithm level one evidence. What if we that actually was, partnered? That was me. That, yeah, so yeah. In, incredible. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, like obviously. So, and you then went on to say to the medical deans, you know, we should teach social media. And I think, you know, it's just like any other tool in medicine. There's indications, contraindications, risk benefits. There will be complications, but the sort of oh, head in the sand, let's pretend it's not happening, is just it just can't happen it's just no good yeah uh, I think that's exactly right um Charlotte like I have to say thank you to you because you directed me to the um Kathleen Credian study mm. um which I included which showed um uh medical student super users and how they use it um um but just to touch on what Tanya just said yeah so I you know kind of tried to get across why it's so important um, in this day and age to use social media. And, and I, whilst I focused on Twitter and as you said, you know, mostly um, most of the medical community worldwide is on Twitter. And part of that is because of the conversation that can happen. Um, I think the other thing is an awareness of how much knowledge is out there and that most of us are using Google and our patients are using Google and our students are using Google. And that in, if we're going to exist in a world where there's that much knowledge, we need to be curators and we need to know where to responsibly and Rachel you and I spoke about this in Vienna as well we need to know where to get the knowledge mm. um and so I'm interested in your perspective because um um and of how you use it and what you're going to tell people at the pre-vocational conference um, yeah well, I think there's uh, a really yeah, good there's point a really good point. and that's because um you know, Tanya, you spoke before a little bit about, you know, teaching social media and I think you touched on it as well, the sort of negative sort of um, connotations that surround social media and uh, particularly for junior doctors and medical students. And when, you know, definitely that resonates for me because my first lecture on social media as a junior doctor was delivered by like the hospital lawyers and it was pretty much just put it down, <laughs> just don't tell anyone you're a doctor online, just don't give medical advice. And it was very sort of just don't do it whatsoever. Um, And that's, you know, that comes from poor experiences in the past. And there's definitely lots of examples of people using it, you know, still to this day or for, you know, reasons that are probably not fantastic. But the sort of flip side to that is there's so much potential, particularly for junior doctors. And that article that you used, Beck, was you know, one of my favorites because it showed that the way that medical students were using particularly Twitter in that study was 
you know, with intention and, you know, they were getting quite a lot of value out of it in terms of networking, disrupting the hierarchies, finding new sources for information. Um, and also there was a little bit of fact-checking as well. Sometimes Twitter can, you know, end up running off on a tangent, but sometimes if you get the right sort of mix of people in the conversation, it can be, you know, really fantastic for both learning and also sharing resources. Yeah, and Rach, like the that was kind of mirroring our discussion from Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of talk about is it is it bad for your mental health? Well, I think it's I think for me it just depends on your on your experience. For me, Twitter's great for my mental health because I happen to have surrounded myself with really smart people who are kind. And it's just like, you know, in the olden days there was the doctor's mess. And you would go and sit in there quietly with a cup of whatever and just kind of debrief. And we, although you maintain patient confidentiality, you feel, I feel the love of Twitter. You know, and I put a tweet last night just talking about friendship and how I value my in real life twin friendships, but also my Twitter friendships mm. also. You know, I think um, there are decent people online and, um, and mostly they are kind. Sure, you can get into some some people can get heated and whatnot, but I genuinely have managed to stay away from all that. And, you know, if people are nasty, unlike real life, you can just block them. (laughs) And it would be nice if we could block the unkind people in our own life. That's kind of one of the things I wish I could have. And one of the other things while we're talking about friendships um, is, and mentorships is the, the sort of very real thing that happens where you meet someone on Twitter and then, you sort of think, oh, hey, I quite like this person, and then you become friends in real life. Um, and as an example, one of my uh, one of my current mentors is someone who originally I posted something on Twitter, and then she commented on it and said, you know, I think we should have coffee and chat about this, and we did. And now she's become one of my sort of most trusted, most supportive mentors um, in real life. And that's sure. you know, the, yeah, yeah, and I. Mm. And, and I think I said that in the talk, like I showed the the image of the silos and that realistically medicine has become more and more siloed as we become more and more specialised. And the, the beauty of Twitter for me, like all four of us are in different cities mm. and in actual fact we've got three people in one country and somebody on the other side, in another hemisphere and from different fields um, and but we've met through Twitter. And I think so for me I've met people from multiple different professions, not just medicine, um, but throughout healthcare and other area and other professions as well. And from lots of different places and specialties and all sorts of stuff. And so I think it completely flattens the hierarchy in a whole new way. And it means like, Charlotte, you've mentored me in some (laughs) capacity, which is awesome. Oh no, that's why I rang you to coach me through the talk. I didn't ring you. That's awesome. That's very cool. I'll put that on my uh, CV. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> absolutely some digital scholarship oh yeah that's right <laughs> um yeah yeah and I think that was what was really evident to me um in the talk to the deans on Friday was which you know and I think maybe that that solidified it in my brain a little bit more of like what is the benefit for me aside from being part of the conversation is that um you know and different people use Twitter in different ways but I really try and listen as much as I um as I contribute, um, and it means that I'm listening to, uh, I'm, I'm hope that I'm listening to a lot of different voices and potentially voices that I other, otherwise wouldn't mm. hear. 
So being able to interact with like you as junior doctor, Rachel, as a um, doctoral candidate on the other side of the planet, um, students, you know, nurses, midwives, like they're all people I interact with on a, on a regular basis, but I get to, um, I guess, participate in conversations I might not otherwise participate in. Um, and, you know, the opportunity to speak in front of the deans is yes, in part because I'm on Twitter and, um, I've, um, interacted with Kirsty in a few different ways. And, and but, you know, Tanya's going to hate me for sharing this story, but partly because she DM'd Kirsty um, about something, having no idea who Kirsty was. All she knew was that Kirstie, this was Kirsty Forrest, who's on Twitter, who's an anaesthetist who works at Bond University. And when I said to her afterwards, Do you realize that you included me in a DM with Kirsty Forrest? She's like, Yeah, isn't she great? And I went, Uh huh. And like, you do realize she's the Dean of Medicine of Bond University. <laughs> Yeah, fun story. (laughs) It's one of the things we love about you, your your regional naivety. Um, And, you know, but like being being up talking to them um, was a little surreal, but um, it's also I think it felt like a big responsibility to get that conversation right Um, and but I'm also very aware how privileged I am to be able to have that conversation and have the opportunity to be there. And, um, and so I'm, I'm, I think it was well received. I think it was disruptive. Like it was probably disruptive to have, you know, yes, I'm, you know, 43 years old and I graduated from medical school 20 years ago, but, um, I I think it was a relatively disruptive thing to have someone who's a senior lecturer, um, as opposed to a professor, as opposed to somebody who's, um, maybe an older male speaking and speaking on disruption. Mm, I think you did a fantastic um, and so all kudos for Kirsty. I was going to say, I think you did a fantastic job because um, I know that we spoke about sort of the, the discussion coming from you as opposed to coming from a medical student. And I think from, I guess, the juniors uh, perspective, you really did it justice by, you know, by giving that sort of uh, experienced voice to a discussion that is relatively new, uh, particularly in the form of in the sort of realm of medical education. So, um, on behalf of all the juniors and the coming med students, thank you. Oh, thanks. That's so nice. You know, the, there was a, there were two student reps in the room. So there was the um, president of the equivalent of AMPSA, so it must be the New Zealand Association of Mm -hmm. Medical Students, um, Ella, um, and who is uh, in Wellington. And she, Kirsty asked her to comment afterwards and and she said, look, it was a really nice thing to hear somebody speak about um, social media, not from Mm -hmm. a negative. So it was a bit similar to what you just said, that, that I was, you know, giving many of the positives and why we should embrace the good and limit the negative, as Tanya said. Um, and, yeah, like as as you said, Tanya, like I, I did comment on Google and that perhaps if we had been ahead of the curve and collaborated with Google, could we have had the algorithm different so that if someone was searching a health topic um, that – uh, level one evidence came up first. And equally, I also said, you know, if Jack suddenly decides to shut down Twitter or use Twitter in a different way, how do we ensure we don't lose 
the good of Twitter. And just like Rachel said before, and, you know, Charlotte and all of us have alluded to, I think some of the mental health stuff is the good stuff of Twitter for the medical community anyway. Like I think there's a whole lot of people on there who might be on there at three o'clock in the morning either because of um, they're on night shift or um, or like me with my insomnia um, and they've got people who are somewhere in the world on there to communicate with. There's a whole lot of people who are talking openly about burnout, about um, falling asleep at when they're driving, about the difficulties they've had, about the things that have helped with that, um, as well as knowledge, as well as um, diversity and inclusion. There's a whole lot of good discussions that are happening. And if Twitter is suddenly shut down or behaves in a different way, what do we do next and how do we harness Mm. that? Like I guess, in you know, I, Tanya and I were talking about this earlier or I was talking with someone, maybe I've got some friends here from Brisbane, maybe I was talking with them about like I think one of the benefits of Twitter has been how organic it is and potentially we do behave differently and in somewhat ways more professionally and I think it's a really good modelling of how to be professional for, for many because it's yeah. public, because it's truly public. So I'm a bit confused about like how would that work in terms of like should something exist just for the healthcare community I think people would be less likely to sign up to it yeah kind of like whatever the next iteration is like if because I'm under no like I don't think this is going to like stay just like you just described Facebook changed in how it was initially used and how it's now used Twitter will change the world changes and I think that's possibly one of the things that was the most scary to the deans of you know this is already here and the curriculum is still being taught around that 1950 concept of you can learn all knowledge and be the font of all knowledge and the medical doctor is the expert with all the knowledge And we no longer can have all that knowledge if it's changing every 73 days, which is what we said in Vienna. Like you have to be able to go down to Google and, you know, what you said, Rachel, which is I love that I was able to play that audio. Um, You need to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff and you've got to be able to direct and, you know, co-create with your um, patients and students and others. So, you know, who can, you know, but I I think human beings don't like being told what to do or don't kind of like being – labeled and corralled into a particular area i think twitter has worked in many ways because um it's just organic um and improve accessibility to quality information and those kind of things like there's so much potential for social media to do so much good um you know i understand people have reservations about you know when people should be getting on social media in a professional context but i think the education really now needs to be on helping these sort of new health professionals transition their online identities from maybe their sort of like pre uh professional identities to their online now you know a doctor a nurse a pharmacist a physio and also being on social media because you know Patients will Google you, patients will find your profiles and that kind of thing and it's going to be that, you know, reconciliation. And that is happening now. So the the coolest, I think, 
you know, that's a perfect example. And then there's the flip side, which is really interesting because I'm not sure how much thought I had put into this um, when you when you hear the story. So on Friday after I talked, there were lots of questions actually and some around what you just said and including concerns about some people saying, well, the universities have told us we're not allowed to and what do we do? And I think that's really inter- interesting from a group of medical deans because no one brings in more money from for a university than a medicine. Um, and so... <clears throat> Um, the the conversations between chancellery and um, schools is an interesting one. Um, but, um, you know, I, I get that there's fear around it and I, and I get that the lawyers are concerned um, and, and we've had some conversations around that. But the, the question or comment that was asked was around patient confidentiality. And I said, well, I just never talk about patients. That's quite clear. That's my duty as a doctor. Um, it, the same applies as it would um, in real life as on social media. I don't talk about patients full stop. I do um, talk sometimes with people who are patients, not my patients on social media, um, who are asking for general advice, but I'm pretty cautious about that type of thing. So the comment was then made by one of the deans, and I'm not going to reveal who it was, and I'm, um, but um, that a, um, child recently had an operation. Um, actually, sorry, so that their child recently had an operation and they heard about the outcome from social media before they had had a chance to speak to their child because the child had gotten the smartphone in recovery and posted all about it. Oh, Gosh. And so, and I said, well, that's their health information to share. That's their choice. You mean they're delicate, uh, competent, right? Off they go. No, but I had a discussion and, and so like I, 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 I think that the interesting thing about that is if you were the doctor who did that operation or gas for it, Tanya, mm. and you saw that on social media, what do you do about it? But equally, like I had a conversation with someone else, if you as the doctor are tagged in that post mm. um, and potentially that could be about anything, like somebody could tag, like could say, here's my scar and this, you know, my surgeon was X and like look how good my scar is or equally I had a complication, look at this. But that's already happening. On, you know, patient review sites, people can at the moment say whatever mm. they like, whether it's truth or not truth. That is currently yeah. happening. And, you know, if people like, um, you know, GPs and specialists and stuff, they, they have these Rate My MD sites. Anybody can put anything on there. You don't even have to have been the patient. Who knows where the truth is? That's currently happening. And, of course, doctors have no right of reply mm. to One any of the of things it. that um, that's come up in discussion about social media and doctors in particular is that, if you do not create your own sort of uh, space on uh, the internet and social media, then someone will create it for you and you will have no say over that. Absolutely. So that's what Marjorie Stiegler said. I heard her at the Combi Sig. She's written a book called The Social Prescription, and she is very clear that you're on the, you're on the social media whether you want to be or not. And so if you just let it go, you have zero control over it. So her preference is to take control. And if somebody says some hateful untruths about you, 
hopefully you've been able to demonstrate all the really cool things about you and people can kind of make their own judgment on where the truth might lie. But it's a massive problem for doctors today. Um, you know, people just, you know, it's like the, the classic is the anti-vax thing. Um, Rachel, in the US, there was a, a, a family medicine thing that was, you know, they were pro-vaccination and there was a very organised campaign to discredit them via the sort of um, rate my MD type websites. So that's happening now. Can't pretend that's not happening. That's everywhere. Wakefield. So harm calm. And and so look, that was the main, you know, the, the other thing that was asked of me was, you know, well, I don't, um, you know, someone said, I, I don't have time and how do I make the time to do this? And it was interesting because because I wasn't necessarily encouraging all the deans to personally get on Twitter. My my conversation was around teaching about social media and Google and the digital stuff that we talked about in medical school, that we need to move away from Dutch just teaching facts because of that graph that I showed about the doubling time of knowledge and teach responsible critical appraisal of digital resources and social media and um, be aware that the world has changed and use that. So it wasn't about them getting on Twitter, but that partly was what they wanted to talk about. Um, And they were like, oh, you know, can I get someone else to run my account? And what about this? And I said, look, and then someone asked and someone asked about that someone asked about the advocacy space and i said look there are two people in the past year who have become significantly more vocal on twitter um, and all and across social media actually who i am pretty convinced are running their own accounts they might have some help but but the voice seems authentically theirs and that is the director general of the un yeah. um, antonio guterres and um, the director of the who um, and I and they have been using it very effectively around both climate change and um, and vaccination. Or and, yeah, Helen Clark's another beautiful example. She runs her own account. She's a very smart, powerful woman. Um, the other issue about time, we don't have time. Marjorie Stiegler says, "What well, you save time, but instead of going to the conference, you actually sit there following the live feed. Guess how much time you've saved? Heaps." Yeah, and the environment by not having to fly there. Well, and the, and the, uh, there was the other stuff that was touched on on Friday was people were asking around because of um, uh, Lambert Shewith and um, Joe Collars from Michigan University were also spoke in my session, and there were comments around diversity and um, access for students and others in rural, regional, or remote. And the comment I, I made was that the that social media doesn't just um, you know, flatten the hierarchy and um, the silos of professions. It also helps with geographical silos, which is evident in this phone, you know, in this podcast that we're all, you know, we've got Charlotte, where are you at the yeah, moment? Somewhere in regional Queensland. And um, and Tanya in regional New South Wales and I'm in, you know, capital city um, in Victoria and Rachel's in California. And that in actual fact, almost whilst sanitation and lots of other issues exist in low and middle income countries, when you do the numbers, many, many people across the world actually have smartphones. Um, And so because these apps exist on smartphones, not just on computers, 
Um, there are many people across the world engaging. And when you now look at curriculum development for those in low and middle income countries, it's really important to make sure that it will anything digital will work on a smartphone, not necessarily on a laptop or a computer, because that's usually what's being used because that's the most reliable and accessible. Um, and so I think that it actually, um, social media has the potential to address a lot of the diversity and access issues. Um, and so I think it's, again, like what we said before is it's, it's not just dismissing it as this is bad. We need to look at what the the possible good is and, um, and embrace that. And that's, you know, as educators, I think having curiosity, um, and embracing the why and teaching that um, would mm-hmm. is hugely valuable. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Um, well, we've been talking for a relatively long time, so it's probably time to wrap it up. But um, the only last thing I want to touch on, just in case there's time for me to splice it in, is um, Charlotte, because I think we've lost Rachel for the moment, um, and Tanya. Um can one of you or both of you please tell me why you think, because I'm really shocked um, to a point that Twitter seemed to be as interested in this as they've been. Like lots of people on Twitter have commented on this talk and I posted it because a couple of people said, oh, I'd be really interested to see the talk. But I really didn't think it would be interesting to that audience because I don't think this is anything new to a social media audience. Like, Smack and a whole lot of other people have who've been on social media for a long time have talked about this before. My talk was designed for, you know, as you said, Charlotte, a digitally naive group and a, you know, a group that are not necessarily using social media. And some of the deans are clearly Kirsty's there, and there are a couple of others who kind of have sleeper accounts. Um, but I've been intrigued by how those on social media are so interested. Um, well, I'm happy to go first. Um, I I really love the talk, obviously, coming from the perspective of someone who gets mixed messages from different groups of people about what we should and shouldn't be doing on social media. So I really liked your um, your ability to present it in a way that was sort of uh, quite logical, methodical, and went with the values of what are traditionally very sort of um, sort of old school institutions, which is medical schools, and it really, I think, fit in the sort of that perfect balance of you know this is something new, this is all the cool things about it, but also this is why it fits with you know what we're what we're already doing and the values and the goals. And so I thought you really did a great job of just getting that sort of perfect midpoint between being like a fanatic about Twitter and then also being sort of from, you know, you like you're a, you know, you're a consultant. So you get that weight of your experience in there as well. So I thought that just the whole sort of way it all came together really resonated with people who maybe are in the same sort of headspace of thinking this is great, but how do we make it not just a gimmicky tool? Wow, thank you. That's really (laughs) lovely feedback. Thank you. No, good job. Tan, what did you think? Oh, I just think it's, um, you know, it just, it crosses the silos. That's what it is. It crosses the silos. And people are probably on Twitter kind of sick of being told that what we're engaging in is fringe Mm. behaviour. 
<laughs> you know, it's sort of considered the sort of like fringe alternative, slightly weird, you know, because people don't understand it. It was interesting to me. I've got a colleague organizing a conference for next year and we're talking about whether she'd have a social media speaker and the people who are actually organizing it were like, oh, we don't need to hear any more social media. We've, we're, we're done with it. And I thought that was such a profoundly ignorant comment, like we're done with it. I mean, medicine hasn't even, be- hasn't even started with it. We're so behind and there's so much work to do. But the feeling is that it's, it's fringe or novel or a bit strange going somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So that's why I think it, it hit a nerve because we feel like, yeah, we're not, we're not fringe. We're the future, man. Wow. Well, I think um, that's super cool. I think, you know, uh, as I said, like I, I'm very aware of the significant privilege I had in um, giving, being given that opportunity by Kirsty and um, – I think that Dean's listened and I, um, you know, I think it was, um, there was some challenging stuff in there in terms of what do they do with it. But um, I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, good job opening the conversation. Excellent work, Doc. Really good. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Charlotte. And I think we might have lost Rachel, but um, maybe she's going to reappear. Um, no, but thanks, you. guys. Thanks, everybody. Catch you later. Bye.